So Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now for the preaching and hearing of your word again. We pray that you would um, give me that function of your spirit, that you would uh, enable us all to be able to hear what it is that you have said in your word and how that applies to our lives and how we might glorify you more because of this. And we pray this now in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So basically, and if you read this passage and, and, and reread it and study it, you'll see that Paul, this is all about justification by faith, being declared righteous by faith. And he's, he's going through again and he's saying, Here's another way to look at it. Here's something I want you to understand about what it means to be declared righteous by God. And what he's setting up for us here is that there's really only two possibilities in the world. There's the, the entire world, all the people in there, everybody that's ever lived, everybody that's going to live, everybody that lives now, they're in one of two families. They're either in Adam or they are in Christ. And so this is what he's setting up. You are in Adam, and therefore you're under the power of sin and death. Or you're in Jesus Christ, and therefore under grace and reigning in life through Christ, leading to eternal life. That's it. So, chart up here. Creation, God created all things, is all good. The fall occurs. Bang, Adam, everybody forever in death, and, and that's it. Uh, why did God set it up that way? Well, he's God and he knows best. God created the angels in a set number. They don't procreate. Um, we do. And I, I'm sure there are reasons we'll discover as eternity goes on of, of why we do that. One reason, why is he creating us like this? Um, and one of the reasons is it's an analogy to the relationship of the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, you know, why does he reveal himself in these ways? 
And it's because in families, as a father, you understand what it means to be a father. You understand what a relationship with a child is. As a mother, you understand this nurturing relationship that God also says that he has. So God created man. That's the word of God. Male and female, he created them. So man, you know, Star Trek even used to say where no man has gone before. But they had to say where no, per, no one has gone before. He had to be you know, keeping up with the language. But it's, we are man, mankind, created male and female to image God in a way that if we were uh, not male and female, then we wouldn't image God in some particular way. And then with children, the raising of children, understand this relationship that you have with your own children that's different than you have with other people. And if you don't have children, you have parents or grandparents. You understand this relationship. And even a different relationship between um, uh, the church and the wife, the, the father and the, and the spouse. Goodness. The husband and the wife, which God even says in his word is a, a, um, a mystery, but it represents Christ's relationship to the church. So all the ways that God has created us in this world was in the garden, perfect and good, in order to teach us things about himself and in order that we might be in his image, image bearers in the world, so that we were his representatives in this world. As the, the, the idea was to, to cause the garden to encompass the world and to grow, and who knows what was planned. But I believe the fall was also understood and planned and that the redemption would be in Christ Jesus from before the foundations of the world so that it is important for us to understand that when Adam fell, he and Eve were expelled from the garden and all of his children were born outside of the garden. He, that no children were born in the garden and then his family was cast out. There were none of his children that were born within the garden. And this isn't explicitly pointed out in Scripture, but what we do explicitly see pointed out in Scripture is ever since the fall, sin and death has reigned. And God has gone to a certain extent to, to show that, not the least of which is the, the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5. As you go through different genealogies in the Scripture, and it says, you know, so-and-so. It's that part you get to, and you're trying to read through the Bible, and you get to it, and you're like, okay, I'm bored now. So-and-so beget this, so-and-so beget that, so-and-so beget him, so-and-so beget. It's like, but in chapter 5, what you see, you don't see in other genealogies is so-and-so beget so-and-so, and he died, and he died, and he died. And he died. And he died. Then you get to Enoch, and Enoch is walked with God, and he's taken up with the Lord, and he doesn't have that, and he died, which is this little glimmer of hope. It's like, wait a second. There's, wait a second. And he died. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. But you don't see that in other genealogies. But after the fall and before Noah, we had to understand death is reigning. And now what Paul is saying is from Noah all the way to Moses, where you get the, the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, and all these other other laws is that death is reigning. Death is reigning. That means there's a, a dominion of death. There is, there is sin and death in the world. And so in verse 12, what we see is what we call the fall of man. So verse 12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, nobody debates this talking about Adam, just as sin came into the world through one man, 
and death through sin. Remember the day you eat, you shall surely die. There was a specific command given to Adam. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From all the other trees you may eat. And remember, there were two trees in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and also the tree of life. So they weren't forbidden from the tree of life. They were forbidden from this one tree. I believe it's, a, it's sacramental in a way. It's like once your, once your heart and soul has finally turned from the Lord, you're going to eat from that tree. This will be the, the defining moment that will demonstrate to you, to me, to everybody of all eternity, that you disobeyed the one commandment. I mean, you look back at that and you think, you know, hopefully you don't think, I wouldn't have done it. You know, Nathan Clark George has a cool song. I don't think he wrote it, but it's called, What If I Were in the Garden? You know, what, what if I were, you know, what if it were me? And we do that a lot of times in just recent history. If I'd have been there, I would have stopped the Nazis. If I'd have been there, you say, no, you wouldn't. You, you have too high of a, a view of, of ourselves. We hope, and given the Holy Spirit, and given what we now know, but we would have failed just as Adam did in the garden. But he's the one that did it. He's the one that the covenant was made with, and he was told specifically not to eat from the tree. So when he violated that commandment, he violated a clear commandment from God. And sin then came into the world through that one man, and then death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So this is what we call in theology, just a few words for it. If you want to do the tulip thing, this is total depravity. Um, that means that there's not a part of us that's not tainted by sin. Every time I bring this up, I bring up this thing where Amy was going through the children's catechism with our children, and she said, um, what's the question? Are you, are you, whole, are you, do you remember the question? Are you holy by something? Anyway, the, the answer is, I am corrupt in every part of my being. And I was walking by the room as I heard her saying this to the kids. And I was like, I am corrupt in every part of it. I said, wow, I wasn't in seminary yet. Hadn't been going to church long. But we were doing catechism questions. And I said, so obviously we're in the Presbyterian church. And I said, hey, that sounds a little um, harsh. I am corrupt in every part of my being. And she just looked at me and said, oh, yeah, what part of you is holy? I was like, talk to you later. <laughs> Point made. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. You know, so it's like. I am corrupt in every part of my being. And Dr. Kelly would say, is quick to add, uh, people are always quick to add to this point. It doesn't mean you're as bad as you could be. And Dr. Kelly likes to add, but we come a lot closer to that than we think we do. And that's where I like the Jack Miller's quote, which is, cheer up, you are a lot worse than you think you are, but God's grace is far greater than we imagine. But what this teaches, and it's not the only place that teaches it, is that death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, so all sinned. Now, this isn't talking about here, they're born in righteousness, and then they sinned. Okay, now you're dead, and this is Pelagius that taught that you don't inherit anything from Adam. You just, Augustine and Pelagius, if you want to get history straight, these the guys were debating this stuff way back when, and uh, Pelagius said that Adam's fall didn't do anything to us. It just brought this problem into the world. And now we each stand before God with decisions to make, whether we're going to be good or bad. And what Augustine taught and what we believe in, and Paul is teaching here is like, you all, we fell with Adam. You are a sinner at nature. You're, you, you sin because you're a sinner. 
You're also a sinner because you sin. But the reason for our sin is because that's at our nature. We are born with that nature. It's one of the reasons that we uh, believe from infant baptism, is that we understand that even the infant who is born is in need of this, the saving efficacy of the blood of Christ. They need to be washed with the, the washing of, the, of regeneration. They need to be um, purged of sin by his blood so that if, 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 a, if a baby dies and that baby goes to heaven, it's because the blood of Christ has been applied to that child. Okay, so not to follow this rabbit trail too, too far, but obviously an infant can't uh, walk down the aisle, make a decision, repent, put their faith in Jesus Christ, but God is able to work in a person to regenerate a person even when they don't have those abilities to do it themselves. You can have people whose uh, mental incapacities aren't even such that they're able to, you know, I mean, you have severely um, um, mentally ill people who can't think properly, and God can save people. God, God works through means, but he's able to work over and above those things too. But it was always, God is not going to send anybody to heaven uh, apart from the blood of Christ being applied to their lives. So, uh, there's not a point in time in someone's life when they now become accountable for sin such that now they're in danger of hell whereas they weren't before. Because all sinned. And this is what he's saying. This is a condition of, this is, the, the, this is why Satan's laughing with delight, as one song said. You know, this is like, I got it. All I got to do is get at him. If I get at him, I got them all. And why would God set it up like that? You know, and thank God he did. How do you, I don't want to be stand, each one of us have to stand before God and go through this life and say, how'd you do, John? Do a perfect life? No, sorry. You know, who's going to stand before God on their own, even without Adam's sin imputed? It's really weird, but, you know, you, you don't want your own personal righteousness to be on display before a holy God. It's much, much, much better to be, it's like, how about instead of us being judged by our works and our holiness, Jesus' righteousness clothes us. Covenantally, we're hidden in him so that what gets judged is his works in our place, his death in our place, his resurrection for us, in us. And when we stand before a holy God and he says, why shall I let you into heaven? He doesn't even ask the question because you're all shiny and new and, and perfect and as we walk through this world, we are now in him. And this is what he starts to talk about, reigning in life through Christ. And we just don't get it because I think our problem for a lot, people have a couple, we all, all God's children got a whole bunch of problems. Some of our problems is we think way too highly of ourselves. You know, God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't do that. I'd do pretty good. And then sometimes we think too lowly of ourselves. God couldn't love me. God will condemn me. It's like, the solution to both of this stuff, both of these things where you're just arrogant or you just think you're so humble that you're actually prideful in your sin, that the answer and solution to this is all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, Paul's already made this point. And now he's saying, let me tell you how sin came into the world through this one man. And since there's this rule, law set up, we call it federal headship. We call it representative in Christ, this family. So now the thing is set up where it's like something maybe Satan didn't think about. God himself becoming man. Who, who, would, who would come up with that? I mean, this is something that's like, even the angels, the prophets are talking about this stuff, and the angels are like, what? What? It talks about they're leaning over down into the world. It's metaphorically like they're waiting to see. God's doing something, and what is it? And when he arrives, the angels, and it's just like this this is unbelievable. 
that Jesus Christ, God himself, has become man so that we, and then he becomes sin on the cross in our place so that if we have faith in him, we can now be adopted out of Adam's family and into Christ's family so that he's our brother and God the Father adopts us in Christ Jesus so that now he represents us. We get out of being represented as the world is represented in Christ. The church is represented, the world is represented in Adam. Death is reigning, but then life comes through God, the Holy Spirit, bringing us life and faith, and then we are connected to him and that's salvation. Given a new heart, a new spirit, his love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Adam didn't have the Holy Spirit given to him in the garden. He had personal righteousness. He had the ability not to sin, but he also had the ability to sin. But in Christ, we sin, but it's not accounted to us because his righteousness has been accounted to us. And this is the big point, and we're going to break it down a little bit. But the fact that Adam represented us, and therefore we are credited with all his sin, we imputed his, every, Adam sinned, in him we've all sinned. In Christ, we all now have life and righteousness. It's all about who is representing you. And then in verse 13, we see that death is reigning through sin. So look at 13 and 14. This death is reigning, it's ruling through sin. For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. So you guys, okay, what the law in Paul's mind as he's talking is, we're now talking about Moses the law that the Jewish people who are also in this church in Rome and the, and the Christians that are there are trying to figure out, always trying to figure out what's the place of the law, the Torah that was given to the Jews. And he's saying, okay, there is this law. What's the purpose of this law? Because sin was in the world before the law was given. Okay, it's true. When was the law given? Moses. After they come out of Egypt, all this stuff goes on. They're slaves in Egypt through Joseph, Abraham, Joseph, all this. Then God brings them out and gives them the law. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay, so that means if there's not a law, then, you know, sin is a violation of the law. So what was the first sin? Violation of the law. That said, don't eat of the tree. He did, he broke that law. So now sin is in the world. And we all have sinned in Adam. But there's no law that says, don't steal, don't, don't do this, don't do that. But when you read the Bible, even as we read in Romans, if you just go back a few pages even, he talks about in verse 1, I'm sorry, in chapter 1, that um, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And he talks about his invisible attributes. And so they're without excuse. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 24, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, dishonoring their bodies. You go to verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what's not right filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, maliceness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventor. Goodness. I mean, so I hope if you're, use that as your uh, confession of sin before God and say, I still do much of this as me. But what he's saying is, this is what's in man. 
And so when the law comes, in verse 14, so, so let me go back to 13. For sin was in the world before the law was given, this law. But sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So there's some law at work is what Paul is saying. It's just a different kind of law is happening here. But there's a law that represents the nature of God. You've fallen into sin. So what's that look like? You know what it looks like. Covetousness, stealing, uh, gossip, all this stuff. But he's saying that this other law, there's still another law coming though, but it doesn't mean that we're not sinners without the new law coming. And he's going to talk about what that law is doing. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, all right, so that before that law came, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So you'll notice Paul keeps using different words for sin. The first time he says sin came into the world, now he's saying transgression has come into the world. It's like every word that you can use for sin, Paul's going to use in this little paragraph here in order to say that I don't care how you look at it, Adam did it all. He, he disobeyed, he sinned, which means to miss the mark. He transgressed as the Passover. He, he trespassed, which is to violate. You know, he did everything that you can do with sin, he did in this first sin. But what about those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam? So that means Adam was told to his face, don't eat from the tree. So he ate from the trees, cast out, flaming you know, swords from the cherubim. They can't get in, so now we're all out here. And then Cain and Abel, did anybody, did God go to Cain and say, don't kill, thou shalt not kill? And yet he knew it was wrong to, to murder. He knew this was wrong, and he did it. And even Abel is sacrificing. So God has told them, not recorded in Scripture, to give sacrifices, even righteous Abel is sacrificing to the Lord because he knows that he's now in sin too. But in Cain, sin comes to fruition and he kills. And then we see how this continues to spread and gets worse. Violence fills the world because there's a sin nature at work. But that sinning wasn't against any express command at that point. But it didn't mean it wasn't sin because you're already dead in Adam. So even if, hypothetically, you lived your entire life without sin, physical impossibility, spiritual impossibility, you're still condemned in Adam. So if, even if you think, well, I've never sinned in my life. Well, liar, there's one. You've, you're in Adam, so you're already condemned. But the transgression is different. But he's going to say, but when we get to the law, it's going to become a lot like Adam's transgression. But then he's going to tell us about now uh, this free grace. And so this free gift, verse 15 and 16. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Now, you can't call Adam's sin and our inheritance. That's not a gift. It's not, you know, that was a curse. But now we get this free gift. And it's not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have two things, the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So if many died through one man's trespass, what, he, what he's doing is he's setting up this idea that Adam's sin plunged man into death and darkness and cursed the world, and that's awful. And we can look at that and look at the world and look at sin and look at evil and go, it indeed is awful. And we might even wonder how God could even allow it, it's so awful. But then we look at the free gift, and what God is saying is, 
you don't even understand the beginning of how awful it is. But let me tell you something else. You don't understand grace is far greater than any of that. When we talk about the free gift, we're talking about something that's so much more powerful than the trespass. Because wherever sin abounds, grace superabounds. Sin cannot overcome grace. Grace always can overcome sin. And that's just something we have to depend on. That if we're in Christ, if we're in grace, then when sin comes into your life, it cannot nullify grace. Or else it's not grace. It's now you've earned it, and you have to stay in by earning it. So you have to be careful of that. A lot of people understand I'm saved by grace, but in order for me to stay in this covenant, for me to maintain my salvation, that's now done by works in some way. So you've got to be careful because you'll figure out a way to do it by works that you say you're doing it by faith and grace. Uh, it's your power. And the way you know whether you're doing it or not is when you look at your life, how defeated do you become? Or certainly, how exuberant do you become? If you start looking at your life and you go, man, I'm doing so good, God's going to have to, I dare him not let me into heaven. Woo, okay, that's, you've gone too far for sure. But the other can be true too. I'm doing so poorly, how can I be in Christ? Not a bad question to ask. And what you do is preach the gospel to yourself. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Maybe your problem is you're not looking to him. Maybe you're not clinging to him. Maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're looking too much to your works and not enough to the works of Christ. There's lots of things in the Bible that says, look unto me, walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. But he's saying is that we need to remember is, if you're in Christ, if you have faith in him, if you're trusting in him, his final work on the cross for our salvation, then nothing no one can snatch you out of my hand because it's, you're in there by grace. So if many died through the one man's trespass, much more of the grace of God, the free gift of grace by that one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the results of the one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Now that word means judgment. It means death penalty. It brought the death sentence. That's the condemnation. But the free gift following the trespasses, many trespasses, brought justification. So another way to define justification is by its opposite, which is condemnation. So you no longer have, I thought about it, I was like, oh, this would make a good bold sermon here. You no longer have the death penalty, you have now have a penalty, you have the life penalty. You have the, the death sentence, you've been given the life sentence. That's how I said it, because what that made me think of, wait a minute, a life sentence isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, kill them, and then, they, then God judges them. But life sentences, you're, you're in prison for, the, for as long as you live. But in Christ, the life sentence you get is you now actually have life. You possess life. You went from being on the, gosh, I want to say the chopping block. But they used to do that at one point. You went from being on the, 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 the death sentence. What do they call that when you're on the death row? Thank you. You're on death row. You went from being on death row to being set free, and now you're out there reigning in life. You're com complete reversal of these things. And this is what Paul wants us to understand about justification by faith. You were dead in your sin and trespasses, but then Jesus comes and does something where he reverses all of this. He reverses not just your, because what we've said before is God, as judge, has released you from the penalty. He's declared you innocent. God, as Father, has welcomed you home. And now we see something else. Jesus Christ, as brother and representative, has caused you now to reign in life. He's actually taking this thing further now. So the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. So now this is 
we're now running into this, the, this reign, this domain of death is being stripped of its power now. Verse 17, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Now, a good thing to do would be for us to sit down for a while and have everybody talk about man, what, what do you think that means to reign in life through Jesus Christ, to reign in life. Death is not reigning. And we could say, well, life is reigning. But what he's saying is we are reigning. We now reign. We who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so what the Paul tells us in um, Romans 8, 29 is for those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what we have set up is man was created originally, Adam and Eve, in the likeness and image of God. So part of what that means is image bearer here, you're to be reigning on earth, you're to be subduing the earth, you're to be uh, growing the garden, shalom, all over the world. That was the original uh, mandate for man in the garden. And then we have the fall. And now Jesus comes, and he calls people to himself. And now, through the Holy Spirit, we're being transformed. Not, we're, everybody's in the likeness. Everybody is, all people, believers, non-believers, are image bearers of God, and therefore, Worth, uh, worthy of dignity and honor. We treat everybody with dignity and honor because they're image bearers of God. But the believers being transformed into the likeness and image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what's our work? Bringing many brothers to Christ. He's working through us. Image bearers of Jesus Christ. We're here to do his work. What is the work of Jesus Christ in the world? That's the question, because that's the mission of the church. And it is to build the kingdom. That's it. Build the kingdom. The gates of hell, the gates of death shall not prevail against it. We, as his image bearers, as we're being transformed, are to be salt and light. We are to be proclaimers of the gospel in word. And don't let your actions contradict your words. We love God and we love neighbor. But the way we do that as a church is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and calling all men to humble themselves and to come into his light and to be reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. So we are to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Death does not rule in the church. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? The gates, of, the gates of death cannot prevail against the church. And so we must go forward in boldness of the gospel, being willing to suffer anything for his mission, even as we read verses 18 through 19. Therefore, and we see here that the purpose of the law, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. This is the work of Jesus Christ. So we're not condemned. Brought justification and life, they add, he adds now, for all men, who are in Christ, for as by the one man's disobedience, there's that next word, disobedience, 
The many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, that doesn't mean all, so if you're like, wait a minute, many doesn't mean all, so use the rest of the Bible to say, what does the Bible teach about it, so we know what this means is, he's just saying uh, the many, and there's like the many, it's like all is still many, so don't get the idea that this is some subset of people, but there are many who will be made righteous, and not all will be made righteous, because it's only through faith in Christ, which is Paul's point throughout this entire letter. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. <clears throat> That's singular, okay? Not the trespasses, to make more trespasses. It came to increase the trespass. And so what that means, Adam's trespass. Why the law come? Well, you see how bad people are. Now, let's rescue a people from, my people, God says, from Egypt. He brings them out of Egypt before he gives them the law because they cried out to him. So out of grace and mercy, he brings them out. And then the, you have the preface, which is grace before the law. I am the Lord thy God who delivered you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You, you shall have no other gods before me. And he gives the Ten Commandments as, as grace and mercy. And then what they are to discover is, you thought physical slavery was bad, but you have yet to understand your spiritual slavery to sin. And what the Ten Commandments and all these laws and rules are going to do, they're going to do a few different things. But right now what Paul is focusing on is it's going to show you your inner slavery. Your problem is not Pharaoh. Your problem is your own heart, your own soul. And that's what the law is teaching you. And it's also teaching you sacrifice and the coming of a Savior that you must receive by grace, not by works. You've got to understand that if anything, you deserved to be in Egypt. You did not deserve to be rescued. I did that. I rescued you. I am the Lord thy God. I have delivered you out of slavery. And now understand your depravity. Understand what the sin of Adam did and why it was necessary to be clothed with the skin of an animal that points to Jesus Christ because you can't do anything about this. It is only by clinging to God and having his spirit poured out upon you, following him in his righteousness, and that gift of grace that's given to you so that the whole life through we're able to, to strive as hard as we might after his holiness, but only by understanding his grace so that we come into covenant with baptism. You've got to be washed. You've got to be cleansed. You've got to, you, you got to have to hold, God, God's got to do something. And that's done unto you. It's not something you don't baptize yourself. You don't, it's all you are baptized. But now we come and we eat. We partake. Because in the gospel, in the Holy God gives himself to us so that we might live and reign in life. And it might not feel like it because life we live is in a dark world, a cursed world. Our job is not to reverse the curse in this world. That's not the work of the church. Our work is to call people out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's going to change the world some, but that's the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ. Our job is to call people out of darkness and into his marvelous light, to live as children of light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom Paul says in Philippians, you shine as lights in the world because of the work of the Holy Spirit that is within, in us. So that... As sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, you gave your son. We understand little what that cost. 
Help us to know more of it. Help us to know more of you. Help us to understand we're not good by nature, but by your grace and your mercy, you are changing us, transforming us into the image of Christ. Help us not to compare ourselves to the world so that we might think we don't look so bad, but help us to know that we need your grace, that we need your goodness, and that you give yourself to us and that this righteousness, this salvation is available to everyone in Jesus Christ. And you say, come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. So we thank you for this, this calling. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.